concept of uh, defining nation and nationalism has always been a very ambitious uh, one as it is almost impossible to arrive at a single definition so uh, there are different parameters of nation and nationalisms uh, which are very broad and it would be appropriate to begin with um, a standard definition of nation um, so a definition of nation the concept of nation goes like this the nation is a territorial relation of collective self-consciousness of actual and imagined duration you might have understood the same concept from uh, the notes given about imagined community um, which were which was a concept put forward by benedict anderson the introduction to oxford reader on nationalism lists the kaleidoscopic forms that nationals, nationalisms can assume. Uh, they might include religious, conservative, liberal, fascist, communist, cultural, political, integrationist, separatist, and diasporic meanings. Nation and nationalism, therefore, can be seen as the most appropriate terms. They are capable of appropriating, utilizing and forming connections with several social, cultural and political institutions and belief systems. The idea of nation in the post-colonial world, consequent upon the complex, long and varied colonial experience having different import for different sections of societies, remains a troubled dialectic. It has variously been imagined as a locus for cultural and political redemption, recovery and expression of authentic collective self, continuation and reformulation of colonial imbalances also. So in this particular essay uh, by Anya Lumba, uh, we have in the first pages, we uh, mainly come across the concept of nation as an imagined community and she say and the author says that it is a very gendered concept you might have also come across uh, the same concept of nation being considered as a woman nation state being considered as a woman uh, in many of the essays or many of the um, literary pieces which um, were published during the uh, during the pre-independence period in India. To uh, explain the concept of nation as a woman, the author has given the examples of Britannia, Mother India, uh, then Britomart or the Queen Elizabeth. I think I have given already given the link. Uh, if not, just Google it. You'll get the link to Britomart. Uh, and again, uh, Rani of Jansi. Or, uh, and also Kali um, and Rani of Jansi uh, who were uh, powerful, who were represent representations of powerful women figures in our own uh, myth and history. The statue of uh, Stalingrad um, is an allegorical image of motherland which calls on its sons and daughters to re repulse the enemy and to return to the return to attack the enemy and in the first paragraph itself uh, there is the story of malins you or lamb alinche 
um, the link which I already shared and you have discussed it in the voice clip. So the um, links which I shared are actually examples given by the author to explain uh, the concept of nation and how it is connected, how it is read as a woman or how it is gendered as a woman. In the next paragraph, uh, it's said as national emblems, women are usually cast as mothers or wives and are called upon to literally and figuratively reproduce the nation. So here the author says that uh, there is this burden, double burden upon women uh, to um, literally and figuratively reproduce the nation. First of all, the concept of nation itself is considered as feminine. Next uh, point is that they have actually, they have to actually uh, reproduce sons so that uh, the country will progress. And the author says that both the colonial and the anti-colonial movements have used the image of nation as mother. They have both used it in different ways. They have used it in the um, either um, as a way of limiting and controlling the activity of women within the imagined community. Be it colonial or anti-colonial, they all have exhorted uh, women to produce sons who may live and die for the nation. And there is also this uh, concept of Islamic resistance resistance movements uh, which is being discussed here. Uh, here also the role of woman is very important on, and it is very much equal to that of man's, uh, man's role So because she is a factory, she is almost a factory to produce men and also they, uh, she has a role in raising and educating generations. Ania Lumba, the author of this essay, of the essay Feminism, Nationalism and Postcolonialism, is an Indian literary scholar. She is the author of Colonialism, Postcolonialism and works as a liter literature professor at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, her areas of research include modern culture, postcolonialism, history of colonialism, uh, etc. Since you have already uh, read the essay, you might have understood and gone through the materials that were circulated earlier. You might have understood that the first, uh, most of the pages of the essay deal uh, with the concept of feminism, nationalism, and in, uh, nationalism and postcolonialism. It looks at the plight of women during the time of uh, nationalism, and the post-colonial period. How uh, does, uh, is, there an, is there any change that happened in the lives of the women, uh, especially during this period is what the author looks into. Uh, while exploring this particular topic, the author also brings into our attention the cultural narratives that connect the mother's body and motherhood to the ideas of community, region and nation both to establish the concept of the nation and to challenge it as an imagined community. The essay brings uh, to our response the following questions. First, in what ways has the representation of the mother's mother as 
national allegory uh, constricted women's social sexual economic and political roles in different geographical cultural and historic context uh, is the first question that might arise in our minds after reading this particular essay the second question is how does mother as a nation disguise the ideology of motherhood both in forcing women to want to be mothers and in keeping mothers in the private place rather than allowing them in a public rather than allowing them a public voice the third question is when and for what causes are women allowed to enter the public discourse and political activism as mothers and when they have crossed the line what will happen the last question is how do we recuperate the diverse individual and collective experiences of motherhood as well as of non motherhood and integrate them into the historical narrative feminist and gender studies show how the family has served as a foundational metaphor for constructing national identities and national unity as well as defining and legitimizing specific roles within the family and the nation in the colonial period the concept of mother india had emerged as a powerful symbol in the nationalistic politics however this female cultural representation of mother nation undoubtedly had a socio cultural and religious origin in the form of the earthly mother the mother goddess and the mother land and bharat mata all of which shows the powerful mother god goddess durga or kali as an important figure in the hindu pantheon at once nurturing and destructive so the images of uh, kali and durga and the bharat mata concept which were very uh, popular during those particular times have a link with the hindu uh, religion hindu nationalism in the uh, in the militant discourse of hindu nationalism this religious symbolism reigned supreme and mother india came to represent the holy land upon which uh, ram raj was to be constructed or founded communalist ideologues felt that her virtue and purity must be aggressively defended against alien men whether muslim or the british this might be the reason why um, nation itself was given a feminine um, gender so that whenever there is an attack on the nation it will be uh, protected by the fellow men the concept of mother india was aptly framed so as to exploit both the imperialist and the nationalist investments in the woman question for making its own case against indian self government it owed its entire discussion of the plight of indian women in fact to the central tropes that had already been long established in the imperialist writings on women in india mother india for example defined the problems of women in india only in relation to the timeless hindu cultural practices there is a reference to the abolition of sadi in the coming up uh, pages and why it was uh, considered important in the indian history you can go through the pages and find uh, the anecdote there 
its diagnosis of the problems of indian women ignored both the historical and the material factors that were behind particular cultural practices and shifting and the shifting impact of these practices on women by overlooking the role of colonial state in its diagnosis of women's condition in india moreover it also uh, looks at the colonial interventions in indian economy and in indian culture mother india paid attention only to the contributions of british men and women in the upliftment of indian women neither the colonial government's repeated opposition to a number of re reform measures including bills sponsored by indian legislators for raising the age of consent abol and abolishing child marriage nor the many reform initiatives for women undertaken by indian women indian men and women themselves held much interest before we go deep into the topic of uh, feminism and nationalism uh, as the title uh, clearly says about nationalism uh, we would like i would like to talk a little bit more about nationalism you might be familiar with the term nationalism but uh, what do you think is the definition can you give a definition of nationalism nationalism is an idea which fills uh, man's brain and heart with new thoughts and new sentiments and drives him to translate his consciousness into deeds of organized action nationality is not merely about organization and forming a homogeneous identity but more importantly it is a group seeking to find its expression in what it regards as the highest form of organized activity a sovereign state like all complex historical movements nationalism is not a monolithic phenomenon to be deemed entirely good or entirely bad nationalism has its own pros and cons the theory of nationalism has always been complicated by this background and by the intrusion of nationalist ideology into the theory there are also national differences in the theory of nationalism that is uh, depending upon the local uh, Lo uh, local history there are changes in the definitions of nationalism by the end of the 19th century there was a um, grappling issue of uh, getting freedom from the colonial power this process was accompanied by a process of self definition where nation states that emerged out of anti colonial struggles debated and constructed a discourse not just around a set of democratic rights but also around a notion of selfhood and identity one needs to look at the specific socio historical conditions in which most of the these uh, national nationalist movements occur and try to understand these movements as uh, rational attempts made under difficult conditions to pursue the universally accepted ideals of enlightenment and progress partha chatterjee uh, is a name uh, which you all know you are familiar with the theories uh, the essays written by partha chatterjee uh, in his overview of the discourse of nation and nationalism he discusses the process of modernization that began in europe because of enlightenment so he thinks that not only he uh, the history shows that 
modernization had its beginning in Europe and they, it gradually spread to the rest of the world affecting the traditional setup of many non-European societies. In his view, the problem with nationalism is that it attains and continues the baleful legacies of Eurocentrism and orientation, Orientalism. So, um, he thinks that as mo most of the, the um, like most of the theories, uh, nationalism also uh, tend to be a little bit Eurocentric. Critics have generally argued that the concept of nation was invented or imagined into existence in the 19th century even though in the Indian context it has to be noted that Bharata Varsha or Hindustan has thousands of years of historical tradition. Colonial India is merely a fragment of this long tradition and a study of the colonial India is insufficient to come to any conclusion regarding the beginnings of nationalism in India. Benedict Anderson, uh, the theories of his imagined community we already discussed, um, his own print capitalism and determination of nationalism through language fixes a western pattern of one language, one nation that cannot be an acceptable model for a country like India uh, which has diverse languages and cultural traditions. You might be familiar with uh, the name Virginia Woolf uh, who talked about women, women's need to have rooms of their own or a space of their own. In her three guineas, uh, she talks about the connection between women and a country. The uh, quotation goes like this, as a woman I have no country, as a woman I want no country. It is a um, thought that she expresses. It is difficult to decipher whether Wolf's elated uh, disenfranchisement of herself springs from the defiance or defeat. However, it raises an important question. Where is the woman in the project of nationalism and the nation state? Does she have a role? If at all she has a role, what is the role that she plays in it? So if you have gone through the essay, the first page of the essay, you might have now understood that since nation and women are equated and the concept of nation and family are equated, uh, nationalistic spirit or the, uh, and the colonial powers have tried to equate all these in such a way that women, the so-called, uh, the women of this uh, period does not have a say of their own. They are just equated to all these concepts. They don't have a say of their own, but they are uh, elevated in uh, in the paper, just the paper. So it means that the motherland, which the uh, where the uh, which the uh, essays or the theories talk about the mother India or the Britomart, which the theories talk about. Um, is a male nationalistic spirit, is a male, male nationalistic concept and it might not signify home to a lot of women they are talking about. Unlike men, women appear in a metaphoric or symbolic role in all these cases. Uh, from the starting itself, uh, feminist analysis or analysis of politics, nation, citizenship, etc. shows that Women are excluded from the exercise of political power. For long periods of history, women were denied the vote in 
even in the western democracies and women are still dramatically underrepresented in the formal political institutions and the decision making bodies worldwide the renaissance spirit did not guarantee women liberty or equality though the um, theory and the historical um, representations tend to portray it in that way it has not actually liberated the women writings on education domestic life and society have been identified which uh, sharp sharply distinguishes an inferior domestic realm from the superior public realm of men so there is a difference between there is there are two realms that are created by uh, the renaissance during that particular renaissance period that is the inferior domestic realm and the superior public realm of men so um, this um, itself is a private and the public sphere which habermas talks about i think we'll discuss in detail the uh, further concepts in the next classes uh, this is uh the lecture for today i hope you understood what have uh, that what has been discussed already uh in the previous class uh i have given an article uh about how uh, colonial rule and uh, family as a uh, public space has been important during those times um uh, and coming to the page uh page number 182 which we have to discuss today uh, it talks about as i already said family as a resistance uh, as a point of as a uh, place of resistance and also about women's education so considering uh, this uh, like when we look at the condition of women during the uh, colonial times uh, we get an image of indian women the, the image we get of of indian women is that of passivity of a group silent doubly how are they silenced doubly first in the nationalist discourses second in the more recent post colonial scheme of things so uh, we see women as a silent shadow veiled and mute before her oppressors here the oppressors are uh, might be the colonizers and also the colonized that is her own native her own uh, relatives or her own uh, cohabitants who are actually oppressing her her as has been pointed out earlier for the colonial state this was a part of a strategy to perpetuate their domination so unlike um, like uh, unlike all those claims that colonial rule was a boon to uh, the women it's totally opposite uh, this is what the author say um, says in this particular essay um, the author says that the condition of women remained almost the same whether she was educated or sh- uh, not it was almost the same both during the colonial times and during the uh, post colonial times for the colon- uh, like the women were already the women were helpless and uh, but they were in need of protection from the colonial rule and from her own um, native people in the later historical um, writings um, authors have showed how the indian women became the site for nationalist con- constructions of tradition 
and cultural authenticity in the quest for self-identity from the late 19th century onwards. Faced with defeat and humiliation in the political and material world, Indian, women, Indian men constructed the women as the repositories of all that was pure and worthy in their own culture. So, the women became the symbol of all the, of the pure culture of their own motherland. In both perspectives, women emerge as unresisting, inert and passive objects of defining discourses as people without any control over their lives. On the other hand, where women are discovered in assertive roles, they are either participants in larger mass, mass struggles under the tutelage of the male peers and guardians. It is to be noted that uh, race, caste, class and gender are mutually determining forces and cooperate and operative on one another. They depend on one another. Sometimes they act in coalition with each other. They act together. So, uh, the inequalities of power that the women face in the Indian uh, situation, in the Indian, co uh, con in Indian con um, country, in, the, in India, actually depend on these three axes, class, race and gender. Another thing that the author um, has not mentioned here is caste. Indeed, the intersection of caste and gender in India is a powerful predictor of women's place, knowledge, voice, work, role and relations. So, it is very crucial in the history of colonial and post-colonial India. Uh, the role of caste is very important. A core site of gender inequality which mirrors itself in various legal and, uh, and kinship arrangements and indeed in every zone of life is the area covered by the broad term family. Here, the earliest uh, socializations are engineered. The first division of labor, designed and notions of masculinity and femininity are framed at the outset. An individual's birth, education, marriage, work and death are intricately connected with it. So in this particular uh, essay, in, towards the uh, beginning of the uh, page, it says that in many situations, especially that of slavery, colonialism violently intruded upon, broke up and appropriated families of colonized subjects. Um, colonialism you have to uh, think about the colonialism in general how uh, it broke up the family structure as such especially the orkan main important african countries how the slavery slave system was maintained how children were took up uh, took away from the families and how the family structure they ne never knew the children never knew who their father was they had such a stru family structure so slavery system on the uh, it actually broke up the entire family system and as per the author's uh, comment these type of activities appropriated the families of the colonized subjects and in the essay, it also says that 
സം ഓഫ് ദീസ് ടൈപ്സ് ഓഫ് ഇൻട്രൂഷൻസ് വ ഇമാജിൻഡ് ആൻഡ് ഫിയേർഡ് ഇങ്ങനെയുള്ള കാര്യങ്ങൾ സംഭവിക്കുമെന്ന് പേടിച്ചിരുന്നിട്ട് പോലും റെസിസ്റ്റൻസുകൾ ഉണ്ടായിട്ടുണ്ട് ഈ ഫാമിലീസിൽ നിന്ന് സോ ഇൻ ദ ടൈം ഓഫ് കൊളോണിയലിസം ജെൻഡർ റിലേഷൻസ് അസ് വെൽ എസ് ദ പാറ്റേൺസ് ഓഫ് സെക്ഷുവാലിറ്റി കം ടു സിമ്പലൈസ് ബോത്ത് സച്ച് എ കൾച്ചറൽ എസൻസ് ബോത്ത് കൾച്ചറൽ എസൻസ് ആൻഡ് കൾച്ചറൽ ഡിഫറൻസസ് സോ ഇറ്റ് മീൻസ് ദാറ്റ് ദീസ് ടൈപ്പ് ഓഫ് ജെൻഡർ റിലേഷൻഷിപ്പ് ദ ജെൻഡർ റിലേഷൻഷിപ്പ്സ് ദാറ്റ് റിലേഷൻസ് ദാറ്റ് എക്സിസ്റ്റഡ് ഡ്യൂറിംഗ് ദ കൊളോണിയൽ ടൈംസ് ഷോക്കേസ്ഡ് ദ ഡിഫറൻസസ് അസ് വെൽ എസ് ദ എസൻസ് ഓഫ് ദ കൾച്ചറൽ കൾച്ചറൽ ബിലീവ്സ് ഓഫ് ദീസ് പർട്ടിക്കുലർ പീരിയഡ് അനിയ ലൂംബ ഓൾസോ ടോക്സ് അബൌട്ട് സെർട്ടൻ കൾച്ചറൽ പ്രാക്ടീസസ് ദാറ്റ് were considered as untranslatable some of it was some of it are, uh, were veiling polygamy widow immolation matrilineal same sex relationships all these types of um, act, um, acts were considered to be culturally untranslatable so uh, anyalumba believes that even um, the maintaining or the practicing of these types of activities these types of cultural practices or a resistance to these types of practices uh, are very important or very key are key to the central um, to the colonial struggles of that particular period so uh, in the begin towards the beginning of this essay we had already discussed about nation uh, as a mother how the concept was very important during those period again there is a repetition here where other talks about the image of nation or the culture as a mother worked to evoke the, both the female power and the he, female helplessness the nation as mother protected her son from colonial ravages but was also herself ravaged by the colonialism and in need of her son's protection you have you might have clearly understood this um if you um, remember all those lectures in the initial uh, classes it just talks about the helplessness and the power both the helplessness and the power of the uh, female during the time of colonialism and here there is a quote by sri arabindo he says that um, my country as mother i offer her my devotions my worship if a monster sits upon her breast and prepares to suck her blood what does a child do does he quietly sit down to his meal or rush to her rescue and this is quoted by ashish nandi uh, it talks about how uh, the uh, image of mother and the purity are connected if a, um, if a culture the concept of culture is also connected to the mother how um, the her own children Uh, came to protect her when she was in trouble here again uh, in the next paragraph also there is a repetition it talks about the limited agency that really that in the real life women got though uh, papers and the beliefs and all those cultural practices talked about powerful women uh, real women had limited agency then it talks about women's education during the col- colonial times uh, educated women have to be taught not to overstep the bounds and assert authority from men so you might have already uh, read um, articles about how the education system of women was uh, 
there in the colonial sorry for the disturbances there are a lot of disturbances here um, where i sit that's why uh, there are no lots of noises coming in and i am getting disturbed in between uh, while i am recording this so i was talking about how the education system in england was it was a preparatory stage for a better family life women were taught only to be um, to behave themselves they were they were wanted to be lady like that was the education they were given they were taught not to uh, control over the male partners so here in the text it says that uh, humanist arguments in favor of women's education were careful to distinguish between a learned woman and a virago who might assert male authority so a learned here we have to note the fact that a learned woman will not will never uh, assert the male authority while and uh, totally uneducated women women can do the same and humanist writings const, uh, constructed women uh, in a in a particular way that they were companions and helpmates to the men so in this particular uh, page we get to know that the women's movement never bore a consistent relationship to the freedom uh, movement and was experiencing change with change in the discourses Uh, characterizing the free, uh, freedom struggle women's question got expression first in the form of reforms demanded by men for to bring an end to the pathetic condition of women towards the late 19th century and ultimately subsuming itself into the dominant discourse of national freedom prioritizing national identity to women's identity So here is a quote by a theoretician about the plight of women during the colonial times. The uh, theoretician's name is Patma Anagol. Uh, the quote goes like this: The position of women in Indian society has been looked at either as part of broad, uh, broader studies in the social and cultural history of India, or more directly in the attempt to trace the cha- changing role of women in colonial India. Such scholars have argued that improvements in the status of women came about from the 19th century onwards, not as the product of a process of conscious assertion or on the part of the Indian women, but through the programs of social reform devised and carried out by Indian men and the colonial state. In many ways, the image which emerges of Indian women as passive recipients in these processes has been predetermined by the approaches which scholars have adopted in the western impact indian response paradigm that informs the work there is little room for women as conscious agents instead indian women are projected as a monolithic and oppressed entity and reduced reduced to a uh, mere beneficiaries of the awakening good morning uh, in the last class uh, we talked about uh, women's education uh, how uh, it has been in the colonial times we just uh, briefed we just had a few points about it the detailed uh, points will be dealt with in the page number 183 of the essay uh, so it goes like this in page number 183 uh, it says that 
In the colonial context, the debates on women's education echoed these earlier histories, but of course they were further complicated by racial and colonial hierarchies. The question of female education itself became became a colonial battlefield. The last quarter of the 19th century in India saw the growing influence of modern education under the influence of British. As a result, a section of the Indian society evolved that was educated in this modern western system and was influenced by the ideas of equality, justice, freedom and rational thought. Women's education became uh, a very important topic uh, in the context of uh, British rule because um, it was very it, it was part of the civilizing mission since the plight of women were was really bad during those times uh, the British took it as their duty to impart certain amount of knowledge to the women. Education of women became the central focus of uh, the reform movements in India uh, by the British people. To understand the uh, reform movements in India during the 19th century, uh, especially in the field of education, we have to remember two uh, types of mo- or two models, uh, the retroactive model and the proactive model of education. The first one is the proactive reform model. The most dominant historiography of the 19th century reform movements related to women has been that it attempted to bring improvements in the women's lives, bringing them opportunities of education and greater participation in public life, freeing them from the traditional ritual lifestyle of the pre-modern era. So this particular model, reform model, proactive reform model considers reform movement as a constructive phenomenon that has uh, a major role in the upliftment of the condition of women during the 19th century. The main focus of this area uh, of the proactive reform discourse is that it discusses the efforts to introduce Indian women to the world outside the domestic spaces. Women were educated and familiarized in Western discourse either at home or in school. A major stress of this education was on learning English language, especially when the women studied in schools. The uh, retroactive reform model, the second model, uh, during the last decades of the 20th century, and in the beginning of the 21st century, there has developed a critique of the proactive form of historiography. This is actually called the retroactive reform movement. According to this particular model, it says that the education uh, given by the British people did not encourage the women to emerge as independent individual identi- identities. Thus. This critique underlines this reform movement as not really a feminist movement that could liberate the women from the traditional structures. The main reasons uh, that the retroactive reform model uh, puts forward are the strategy to maintain the family in the modern world, the reaction against the imperialist Eurocentric criticism of India.
and the continuation of masculine dominance a prominent argument of the critical discourse on 19th century women's educational reforms has been that the efforts made by the reformers were not aimed at the uplifting of women's conditions rather they wanted to resolve the problem of continuing the family system against the changes and critiques brought by the india's encounter with europe in the 19th century this discourse argues that women were expected to become educated and modernized because it was thought that these women would be able to perform the obligations of the child rearing and home making really well thus the personal advancement of women was not the focus of this particular movement it is worth noting that this thought process has survived to this day in many parts of india especially in the context of women's education um the second point that i mentioned earlier was the reaction against the imperialist eurocentric criticism of india in the 19th century many europeans saw indian society as backward and ignorant hence they felt that it was the responsibility of the european rulers to civilize the indian society the great civilizing mission they felt that the integral part of the civilization process was to teach them the ideas of rationalism and modernity you have to men- uh, remember these two concepts rationalism and modernity this eurocentric argument provided legitimacy to the colonial rule by presenting the europeans as superior to the indians so there is a hierarchy that is uh, being taught through this education also hence this eurocentric uh, discourse served to maintain british imperialism in india english education was part of this modernization process according to this model of history, uh, reform the reform movements were made as a response to the imperialistic critic from europe and not as a conscious attempt to reform the uh, women and to liberate them the third point that i mentioned earlier was the continuation of masculine dominance the retroactive reform uh, model of education argues that whenever reforms related to women were made in the 19th century they were in fact defined by men not by the women themselves i have already discussed uh, this point in the last class uh, where i talked about how the reform movements were initiatives of men in india hence accordingly according to the historiographic method model these reforms again reflected the changed aspirations and the notions of femininity of the educated men not of the women the women were expected to follow the fresh normative standards set by the men rather than evolving their own standards according to their own perceptions and aspirations so here we come to know that the women did not have a choice of their own they were just being used by the men even in terms of reforms so in our essay also the author anya anya lumba talks about how the reform movements were Im- uh, implemented by the british people uh, when the british people tried to implement an education system in india the native uh, there was also a counter education system which was promoted by the indians but none of these education systems helped the women of the times
so uh, this is what ania lumba thinks about uh, this uh, women's education if if colonialists claim to reform reform claim to reform women's status by offering them education nationalists countered by charting a parallel process of education and reform one which which would simultaneously improve the women's lot and protect them from becoming decultured in the 19th century bengali discourses for instance the over educated woman is represented as becoming a mame sahib or english woman who neglects her home and her husband so here the view about women's education uh, is that too much education and like too little results in bad domestic practices and this is actually quoted by partha chatterjee and the quote goes like this if you have acquired real knowledge then give no place in your heart to mame sahib like behavior that is not becoming in a bengali housewife see how an educated woman can do housework thoughtfully and systematically in a way unknown to an ignorant uneducated woman and see if god has not appointed us to this place in in the home how unhappy a place this world would be this is partha chatterjee's quote so here we have to note the point how uh, what education was supposed to do an educated woman can do her housework thoughtfully and systematically when in comparison with an uneducated woman in the coming in the next paragraph there is this uh, word badra mahila or the gentle woman i was just reminded on of the concept of griha lakshmi and many of the writers of the times have uh, mentioned this concept in the literature tagore the famous writer is one among the writers who has uh, mentioned a lot about griha lakshmi the griha lakshmi or the housewife imagined in the divine model of lakshmi the goddess of domestic well-being became at another site of nationalistic aestheticization um in a book in a booklet which was published in 1877 i saw this in the net um uh, it was said that an uneducated woman cannot be skilled in griha karya this is exactly what partha chatterjee quotes in the essay so education became the tool to perform the griha karya well it does not have any other function according to uh, the concepts which were believed by the men of those period and a woman who neglects um uh, griha karya for the sake of education will find her learning to be useless so it's a double edged sword if you uh, you have to get education for performing the griha karyas properly and if you say if you are um, leaving your griha karya for the sake of education you won't be able to make use of the skills that you learn through education so here in the essay uh, ideal woman according to uh, the old concept is that uh it shows a female self sacrifice and devotion and it is very much similar to the victorian enlightened mother 
Okay, um, I think we stopped in page number 183. We finished page number 183 and we are about to start page number 184 uh, for which I had uh, I think um, like some uh, reading materials given earlier. Um, and in page number 183, uh, as you right, uh, remember, it is about uh, the Bhadra Mahila or the gentle woman um, who was who should be ladylike and uh, at the same time educated. So, um, what was the con- what was the idea given about a highly educated uh, woman in those particular times? Is that they, she was called and she was called a mame sahib if she was over educated. This was what we discussed in the last classes and uh, in page number one eighty four, uh, it talks about um, how patriarchy was strengthened to so that the colonial uh, power can be exhibited more, can be practiced in a more effective manner. And the Anialumba or the says like this, if the strengthening of patriarchy within the family became one way for colonized men to assert the otherwise eroded power, women's writings often testify to the confusion and pain that accompanied these enormous changes. So, since there were enormous changes, enormous socio-political changes happening in the society, in the uh, society during those particular times in the form of reformation uh, like women had to under undergo or women had to face a lot of changes and as a result of this there was utter confusion and pain which the women suffered and here in the text uh, the author talks about the autobiography of Ramabai Ranade uh, who was married at the age of 11 to a well-known scholar and jurist Mahadev Govind Ranade. And um, she describes, Ramabai describes how she was torn, how she had to uh, cope with the desire of her, uh, of her husband and with the decisions, the traditional tradition and the decisions taken by the women of the family. How her husband wanted her to be educated and how the women of the family wanted her to follow the traditional uh, kulstri type of uh, image. And one day while she, want, uh, she uh, pretended to be ill and uh, preferred to stay at home and what, like, uh, what was the reaction that, has, that her husband showed is very annoying. He was actually worried about her decision and uh, this is what she says the reaction um, occurs in this particular way i started rubbing his feet with a ghee myself i wanted him at least to say now that's enough but no he went off to sleep as soon as i started rubbing his feet usually after an hour's massage he would extend his other foot and ask us to start working on that but today, I don't know how he did not forget his resolve of silence. Even in his sleep, he didn't speak a single word. So, uh, this shows the utter confusion and dilemma that the women of the times had to face. In the name of 
uh, reformation or in the name of empowering the women they were forced to they were educated they were actually given education but here what is to be noticed is that they didn't have a choice of their own it was not according to their will whether they had to go to they wanted to go to the school or uh, to the temple it was the decision the sole decision of the male of the family uh, that she had she she had to follow and at the same time the older women of the family were highly traditional and they wanted uh, the younger bride or the younger woman women to follow the tradition so there is this um, confusion always and um, anya lumba here says that um, ramabai ranade didn't even know what was the fault that she did during the situation she had to apologize to her husband so that he speaks to her so in, uh, in page number 185 uh, it says the self fashioning of the nationalist male thus required his fashioning of his wife into a fresh subservience even though this new role included her education and freedom from some older orth- orthodoxies so when the times demanded uh the reformation or the self fashioning of the male they had to in turn uh refashion their own wives or their own daughters here it is only mentioned as wife their own uh, daughters are also a matter of concern and uh as a matter of as a fact of um refashion refashioning the female uh the men the women of the family uh they they are actually freed from certain older orthodoxies and are given education and in this in this uh, attempt to reform the women of the times of the society uh, of the times uh, there is this disappearance of women from the discourses even though they are they are supposed to be reformed or they are the subjects to be reformed they are they almost disappear from the discussions from the colonial as well as the nationalist record we learn little about how they felt or responded and until recently there is no response about the emotions of the women who were succumbed to this reformation so uh, it means that um, there is no voice heard from the part of the women who are being reformed and uh, here there is an example by ladamani who suggests that the entire colonial debate on sadi she actually discusses about sadi how it was about a redefining of tradition and modernity and less about women being the sadi so uh it, it did not give priority to the loss of life of a woman rather it gave priority to the um redefining of tradition this is just one example uh cited here another might be the case of the widows widows were a matter of concern during those times and uh, their own inferior interiority and inferiority and the pain they faced were little discussed there were actions taken by the um society um, by the reformers to reform uh, to uplift the position of the women 
or of the widows but little was said about the emotions and the pain that the widows face and here aniya lumba cite uh, gayatri chakravarti spivak's of quoted essay can the subaltern speak you might have uh, had this in like some of the seminar um, heard this in some of the seminars or uh, in any of the texts you have already learned uh, it's a very famous essay can the subaltern speak so here she says that uh, there is this absence of the women's voices even when they are uh, even when there is the emolation debates or the reformation debates go strong and this she considers is an apt emblem of the intermixed violence of colonialism and patriarchy so here she means that this is the result the absence of the voices of the women is the result of patriarchy and colonialism so uh, throughout the essay um, by anya lumba she says that women though even in the time of colonialism and in the time of post colonial uh, colonialism are being subjected and what are the ways and means through which they are subjected is being discussed here and there is this another word um, in the next paragraph site site women being the sites of reformation rather than the subjects of reformation and uh, she says that uh, though women the, these reformation these acts of reformation are hot topics of debates in the post colonial studies uh, the women are not given priority here so in the next uh, lines in the essay it says that uh, women are being marginalized even in discourses about them leave alone all the other discourses that happen in the society even in the case of reforming them they are being marginalized how how are they being marginalized here by not letting them speak this is exactly what spivak says in her essay can the subaltern speak can the subjugated women can the subjugated people speak for themselves rather than being spoken about can they actually talk about themselves talk about their emotions uh, this is actually uh, the above lecture i have given is actually uh, uh, the main points of page number 183 and uh, no 184 and 185 uh, the rest of it will discuss in the next class thank you okay in the last class we dealt with page number 185 uh, today we have to deal with page number 186 and 187 ലാസ്റ്റ് ക്ലാസ്സിൽ നമ്മൾ പറഞ്ഞുകൊണ്ടിരുന്നത് റിഫോം മൂവ്മെൻസിനെ പറ്റിയായിരുന്നു അവിടെ എങ്ങനെയൊക്കെയാണ് വിമനെ റിഫോം വിമൻസ് റിഫോമേഷൻ എങ്ങനെയൊക്കെയാണ് അവരെ അഫക്റ്റ് ചെയ്തത് എന്ന് പറഞ്ഞു സോ ടുഡേസ് ക്ലാസ് ഇസ് ഓൾസോ എ കണ്ടിന്യൂവേഷൻ ഓഫ് ദാറ്റ് പേജ് നമ്പർ വൺ എയ്റ്റി സിക്സിലും അതൊക്കെ തന്നെയാണ് പറയുന്നത് വൺ എയ്റ്റി സിക്സിലും പറയുന്നത് റിഫോമേഷൻ റിഫോംസ് അല്ലെങ്കിൽ റിഫോമേഷൻ മൂവ്മെൻസ് നടന്നിട്ടുണ്ടെങ്കിൽ പോലും ദേ വർ ക്വയറ്റ് ഷുവർ ദാറ്റ് വിമൻ ഷുഡ് ബി കെപ്റ്റ് ഇൻ ദെയർ ഓൺ പ്ലേസ് അതാണ് പേജ് നമ്പർ വൺ എയ്റ്റി സിക്സിൻ്റെ ബിഗിനിങ്ങിൽ പറഞ്ഞിരിക്കുന്നത് ദസ് ഡെസ്പൈറ്
despite their other differences and despite the contest over native women colonial and indigenous patriarchies often collaborated to keep women in their place avare sthanathu avare nirthunnathil ee rendu kootarum ore pole urachu ninnu ennaanu nammulu ibada paranjirikkunnathu so uh, it would be interesting to note in this connection uh, rousseau's emily Uh, you might have heard about rousseau and rousseau's emily is a famous work which talks about women's education um, we had uh, dealt with women's education in the previous um, pages but there i forgot to talk about this uh, here um, you just don't have to uh, um, relate it just to education but you can uh, see it with a wider in a wider perspective um, the quotation goes like this thus women's entire education should be placed in relation to men to please men to be useful to them to win over their love and respect to raise them as children care for them as adults so this is the view that people had about uh, education and also education was meant to be uh, a way of reformation so if education was supposed to be to please men and to be useful how to be a useful uh, person to men so there can't be a, uh, much change uh, happening in the condition of women so uh, even in the minds of women in the concerned period they were conditioned in such a manner that they had accepted the subordinate status within the patriarchal system uh, without much resistance and in keeping with the patriarchal norms there was complete division in the duties rights and responsibilities of a man and a woman within the family so uh, the existence of this type of a differentiation and a division of labor was necessary to ensure peace and harmony within the family and the society uh, so there is another um, review which i um, read in the uh, read online about uh, women's education and it says like this education is essential for both men and women but education of a similar kind as that meant for a man cannot be useful for a woman in the same way because the parts and duties are entirely different so women should be edu- educated not to enable them to seek a job but to perform their domestic and social duties to the best of their abilities to quote a famous political leader logamanya tilak you all know about him he was uh, totally against the idea of imparting higher education to women and he strongly criticized the curriculum of the female high school uh, to quote him every middle class man wants his wife to be literate and well trained in household duties to spend her leisure hours in reading religious texts in order to improve her mind and to help him in domestic duties just as a trade is of primary importance to a craftsman and training is secondary so are household duties generally primary primary for women and education incidental by the age of 15 or 16 a woman should be well trained in housework and this training will never be available in a school as much as at home the marital home is a workshop of female education so this reinstates that in a male dominated patriarchal indian society the type of education which was given to women reemphasized the familial roles 
as a daughter she was supposed to be obedient to her father as a wife she was supposed to be dutiful to her husband and in her old age she was to be an appendage of her son so um this will clearly explain what women's place women's place was in during those times and this is exactly what page number 186 talks about both the colonial and the uh, native reformers uh, were very much worried about the position and the agency and the power uh, women exercised so uh, there have been has been a representation of women uh, in symbolic and real uh, roles and here in the text uh, the author says that symbolism has a very crucial role because it shapes the real life roles women had to play you might have heard about charles grant who was a famous missionary and he had uh, he had uh, written an influential tract in 1792 and it was uh, titled observations on the state of society among the asiatic subjects of great britain this tract explained the relationship between britain and india i'm quoting uh, charles grant here because in our text there is a play uh, in the, towards the middle of page number uh, 186 there is men, uh, mention about pandita ramabai who converted to christianity here uh, i am referring to charles grant to uh, connect with that charles grant's uh, observations about uh, indian society goes like this while men were bound by no moral restraints and lived with the insensibility of brutes indian women were doomed to a life of servitude and self imprisonment and a violent and premature death introduction of christianity according to grant would make the indians rise in the scale of civilization you might be aware of the um, religious conversions during those particular period because uh, indians believe that religious con- conver- uh, conversions uh, will help them to raise to the status of british people so uh, Cha- charles grant believed that raj or british raj should establish itself firmly in india by planting the language knowledge their opinions and also their language in the Asia- asiatic territories so in this particular way they can establish themselves in india and it may thus be seen that the portrayal of a negative picture of indian culture was given uh, which was given in the uh, textbooks historical books um, especially the of the evangelical missionaries it was highly motivated and there is no wonder that this view became widely accepted later for it provided a justification for british rule in india so we are leading to the play uh, to a connection where um, the great civilizing mission is being is about to begin with this object in mind british missionary women uh, started coming to india during the latter part of the 19th century so in the in the text ramabai converted to christianity because she was fed up of uh, the orthodox um, beliefs both the dom- uh, orthodox 
and the nationalist hindus had about women so she converted to christianity uh, and this was considered as a betrayal of the hindu ideologies and again in the text uh, it talks about the hindu home as the domain of indian culture i think we dealt with this in, uh, towards the beginning of the essay uh, where uh, family we talked about family as the uh, as the uh, place where culture was rooted so um, even when uh, women and gender are seen as emblematic of culture and nation they also signify breaks of fault lines within these categories so they also showed when whenever there is a break or whenever there is a fault as usual uh, women who broke the um, rules of the society or the courts of silence the silence were uh, treated as hostile uh, were treated as out um, were not treated in a good way so here uh, we come to understand that it's not different from the time now from now like when women started uh, start speaking for themselves or start raising the voice they are actually silenced so they are actually treated as a threat to the society a threat to the tradition so in the text it says that when the women are collected or potentially in a collective uh, way are treated as a threat to the society and both by the uh, colonial rulers and by the native reformers um we know that um, british had decided had, had a policy of not uh, interfering in uh, the cultural beliefs of uh, the indian society they tend, uh, they promised to do that but um, unfortunately or fortunately they happened to um, execute certain laws which banned sadi child marriage some uh, and all those uh, practices in the indian culture and uh, we have to understand the fact that uh, this is a it's not for the benefit not just for the benefit of the indian women or the indian society as a whole it has this uh, motive of um, representing indian society in a negative way so again uh, in towards the end of page number 186 um, dr tonya lumba talks about how um, in the uh, in latin america also the situation was not much different uh, and i have shared the um, the article on black consciousness pp's on black consciousness where uh, patriarchy which, which was also a movement uh, which concentrated on men and the participation of men in the nationalist movements so in page number 187 gandhi's non cooperation movement has been called has been termed as proto feminist so uh, who is a proto feminist in layman's language proto feminist is a term used to define a person in a philosophical tradition which depicts modern feminist concepts at a time when the term feminist was unknown which is prior to the 20th century gandhi believed that indian women who are constantly struggling with domestic and the national liberty the strength lay in the weakness after he returned to india he appealed to the women to inculcate the non-violent strength against the brutal masculine power of british this explains uh, the sentence in the text about gandhi's proto feminism 
uh, it goes like this others such as gandhi's non cooperation uh, non cooperation movement have been called as a proto feminist not only because they mobilized enormous numbers of women but also because they adopted attributes such as passivity and activities such as spinning that are traditionally considered female what but one may question whether such attributes are really female and recall that gandhi's movement censored women's militancy and adhered to entirely patriarchal conceptions of the family and the society this clearly explains how uh, gandhi gandhi ji wanted women to participate in the national struggle and this is exactly the belief most of the indian men had during those times women has have to participate in the nationalist movement but within the limits of the society or within the limits or within the borders of the family so the women women question uh, during those times was so ticklish and complicated that the nationalists found it very much difficult to find an appropriate solution to it in the words of a famous um, theorist shivanath shivanath shastri he says he uh, he talks like this women are fish bones in our throats we cannot cuff them up we and we dare not swallow them up you all obviously know what a fish bone is and how the experience of having it in your throat is and this is how he compla- uh, uh, compares w- women's question to so a resolution to this anomaly was sought to be explained by representing women as the dynamic aspect of the, of the divine the authentic body of national tradition this is what we referred to in the beginning of the essay uh, embodying the principle of continuity and men as the progressive agents of national modernity embodying the sta- static aspect of the divine the principle of discontinuity men are here treated as the Uh, agency of uh, reformation according to partha Ch- chatterjee the reason why the issue of female emancipation had dis- disappeared from the public agenda of the nationalist agitation in the late 19th century was not because of uh, because it was overtaken by the by more emotive issues concerning the political power but because of the refusal of nationalism to make the women's question an issue of political negotiation with the colonial state they didn't want to involve this issue uh, while negotiating for freedom uh, from the colonial state the problems uh, related to women had to be solved within themselves or it was considered as an internal matter which has to be solu- uh, which has to be solved without any kind of interven- intervention from the british in the words of uh, Partha Chatterjee in the entire phase of national struggle the crucial need was to protect preserve and strengthen the inner core of the national culture its spiritual essence no encroachments by the colonizer must be allowed in that inner sanctum in the world imitation of and adaptation to western norms was ne- was necessity at home they were tantamount to annihilation of one's very identity you might have understood what it me- means this is uh, the crux of the essay even though they wanted to uh, get freedom from the colonizer they never wanted any imitation or adaptation of western norms when it comes to 
the culture inside the home the quotations i uh, have taken uh, or the references i have made most of them comes from patta chatterjee's uh, piece of writing title the nationalist resolution to the women's question uh, it is uh, it comes in the book recasting women which is edited by kumkum sanghari and sudesh vaid i think i think this is enough for today's class uh, you can go through page number 186 and 187 towards the midway of 187 and this is what happens uh, in the, these pages uh, in page number 188 uh, uh, it deals with it just talks about how the newly liberated nations uh, gave more rights to Uh, women when compared to the european counterparts and there is also suggestion that uh, the relationship with the question of women's right and that of anti colonial movements was very complex and ambiguous as we have seen throughout the essay how the relationship went about uh, we have discussed already there is this quotation by mac clintock in the text Uh, it goes like this while the language of the anc was the inclusive language of national unity the contrast was in fact exclusive and hierarchical ranked by an upper house of chiefs a lower house of elected representatives all male and an executive always male uh, indians and so called coloreds were excluded from full membership so the other things that this might be the reason why women struggles for equality uh continued even after independence uh she also thinks that uh, anti colonial national struggles or the uh, these type of struggles did actually give a space for women uh by legitimizing the public activity by legitimizing the public presence and she thinks that the participation of women in politics is much more uh, accepted in post colonial countries than in the metropolitan ones because of this kind of struggles because of the history uh, of struggles they had earlier there is another point that uh, comes up in the last paragraph of this page uh, it is not only does women's active participation in politics not necessarily indicate a feminist consciousness or agenda but in recent years there has been an effort to harness women's political activity and even militancy to the to right wing movements and especially to religious fundamentalism so the point that comes here is the connection between uh, women feminism and religion and the other things that it's a very the connection between women feminism and religion is a very tricky one because it has surfaced as a major factor in women's relationship to the nation and to the post colonial uh politics because most of the third world countries had so strong uh religious backgrounds uh, especially in the case of india we have diverse types of religions and so the uh, relation between women and religion has obviously played a very uh, crucial role in uh colonialism in, in post colonialism the interactions between among colonialism gender and religion constitute some of the most significant and contradictory forces influencing our world today although some scholars have addressed race gender and sexuality in the colonial context and others the post colonial bible few have seriously engaged all the members of this critical trilogy
we have the examples of uh, uma bharati and sadhvi ritambara uh, who have actually uh, invoked fears of muslim violence and uh, thereby uh, mobilize hindu nationalism in other words uh, women are objects as well as subjects of fundamentalist discourses so they are the targets as well as the speakers of its most virulent rhetoric so there is a statement uh, by robin morgan in the anthology sisterhood is global which says that women seem so cross culturally to be deeply opposed to nationalism this once influential view stands challenged by the nature of women's movements in large parts of the once colonized world it means that uh, it is different though robin morgan says that uh, women didn't did not like nationalism they were opposed to nationalism this was not the case in the case of um, once colonized countries women had to actually struggle uh, against male opposition for equal participation in the uh, in the process of democracy and also in the process of uh, anti colonial struggles in the text the author talks about west bank namibia uh, south africa and uh, how the nationalist struggles over there happened and it uh, how it continued for a uh, long period so in namibia the constitution forbids sex disc- discrimination and authorizes affirmative action for women whereas in india the constitution explicitly excludes women from the affirmative action programs designates designed for the so called backward caste and upholds customary law in relation to the family so she just wants to bring out the difference between uh, south of a um, post colonial country like south africa and india and in a country like us the equal rights amendment as has not yet been ratified women's movements have often been closely aligned with working class struggle so there the women's movements are uh, connected only with working class uh, later anya lumba uh, talks about the division uh, the differences between the first world and the third world women and also be- between white women and black women if black women within the united states have questioned the politics of white feminism in that country then the independent feminists in india have made valuable contributions in raising issues of sexuality and violence that were downplayed by nationalist and left wing women's groups so uh, the feminists in india uh, brought out the issues that were ignored by the left wing women's group in india so while concluding the essay anya lumba uh, mentions that uh the post colonial women's women's aim was to show the fact that uh women's activism in the post colonial world is not just inspired by the western uh, western counterparts it had indigenous in roots and other causes as a result there have been uh, processes of rewriting indigenous histories appropriating pre-colonial symbols and mythologies and amplifying uh, the voices of women things that colonialism has actually eroded certain women friendly traditions and it is a good it will be a good thing to uh, bring back certain some of these women friendly aspects of the pre-colonial past
so you all know that colonialism has uh, wiped tried to wipe the past historic uh, past history or history of the uh, of the native people and uh, near lumba thinks that this in some sense is bad because there were some practices which were good for the people uh, for the women the essay she talks about how women are treated as guinea pigs for fertility and other medical experiments and the recipients of drugs and contraceptives banned in the west we have uh, had uh, many um, discussions related to this in the media because uh, when a, uh, medicine is banned in the united states it is sometimes uh, used in the third world countries especially in the case of women he brings this uh, point to our attention to show that globalization is actually somewhat like colonialism it has the effects of colonialism and um, in this globalized world women's labor is actually universally expropriated either directly or indirectly uh, especially to feed the colonial machine to uh, to um, benefit the needs of the colonial people and this is exactly what happens in the case of globalization also uh, in the globalized world also women's labor and especially uh, third world women's labor is used for the benefit of the uh, of the first world people